This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm super excited for today's program because we have Tony Joventu on the program. Tony is the Executive Director of Condominium Homeowners Association of BC. I feel like nobody says condominium anymore. Uh, I do, just did. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> would you like to go see, see some condominiums <laughs> later this afternoon? Uh, I think you're right. That that feels like... Yeah, uh, as it came out of your mouth, it seemed like you were having trouble with it, but I think there's a reason. Cause do you think they just say condo homeowners or do you think they, they flesh it out? I don't know, but I feel like he's been the running this company since the late 90s, I think. Right. I think back then condominium was kind of the way... That was the, the nomenclature. <laughs> yeah. The popular nomenclature. <laughs> Of the time. Of the time, yeah. Uh, But you know what? Here's the thing. Tony was on the show, did not disappoint. We've been reading Tony in a variety of articles for a very long time. He is kind of the guy, the go-to guy for strata properties. And anytime there's a major change or shift in in strata, right? Well, yeah. The first go-to is Tony, right? Like there's strata wind-ups. He was big on the leaky condo issue back in the day, but... When strata windups were big in 2017, all the questions in the media were going through Tony. Right. Now, strata insurance. And Tony's got a lot of interesting things to say about strata insurance. Is the market softening? Are your strata fees going up? Should you buy a condo as a homeowner, but also for an investment property? I think there's a lot to unpack here. 
Well, this and, is uh, a good, it's a good time to talk about it because honestly, I have conversations, we, we all do have conversations with people every single day about condos and strata insurance. Yeah. And half of them think, you know, they've read a few articles in the, in the media and they think that, that these uh, premiums are coming down. Right. The other half are scared. Are, are running scared and they're yeah. like, this is not going to get solved, not in the near future. And this is going to continue to be an issue. The other day we saw a condo in Burnaby that will remain nameless that had a million dollar water million deductible. million dollar water deductible, yeah. Um, so these are really trying times for Stratus. Today you learn everything. You learn exactly what's going to happen with Strata insurance. You learn where the pain points are and guess what's going to happen with Strata fees. That's the teaser. Yeah, Stay tuned for that. This is an episode you don't want to miss, even if strata insurance is not necessarily what you're interested in, because right. all things condos, Tony is the man. And uh, yeah, this is a really useful conversation. Before we get to that, I got to mention, I've been, we've both been, I mean, it's it's COVID times, a lot of screens, a lot of... Uh, Staying at home, watching movies, watching TV. That's right. I'm hammering, just hammered through the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO. Right. I started, I I actually uh, didn't even know that was coming out, but caught about half of the first episode. Right. His dad was a nice guy. (laughs) You know, so I was, we just, we talked about the Jordan documentary on here for about a week straight. Yeah, I think we did a couple episodes that were just about the Jordan. (laughs) If we don't bring up the Tiger Woods documentary, but um, I'm, I'm watching that at the same time that I'm reading Open, the Andre Agassi book, which I don't remember what year Open was from. Ah, 2009, 2010, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But man, you got to be a real ass of a dad. (laughs) Real ass of a dad. You have uh, to have a singular focus as a, a singular <laughs> focus as a parent and and it's be unrelenting in your pursuit. It's to the <laughs> athlete though, isn't it? Like it's crazy. Like Tiger Woods' dad was, I mean, it sounds like they had a good relationship, although it sounds Well, talk to his first girlfriend in episode one. Yeah, no kidding. That <laughs> he was just the other disappeared. Thing. Well, there's a couple things that came out of that documentary. One is that um, I got to be much more aggressive when I get my daughter into sports. Yeah. She's one and a half. She's starting tennis at three. Uh, but but the other thing that comes out of that documentary is it would be so weird to watch a documentary like that if you were Tiger. All these people that are no longer in your life talking about you. Yeah. Because almost all of them have been cut out of his life for like decades. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Right? Like his first girlfriend, uh, his high school girlfriend's acting like she's kind of still in love with him or in contact with him. Yeah. Like it was the one who got away. Imagine which maybe watching it, that though yeah. as a, as like, you know, looking back. As Tiger Woods as a 40 year old or Bizarre. Yeah. Anyways, it's a great, uh, it's, it's a great documentary, but I, I I understand you're uh, you're watching a lot of um, reruns from the 80s and 90s with your daughter now. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'm uh, yeah. What, the big debate, and we were talking about this before, was at what age can you start showing kids uh, rated R movies? Rated R movies. <laughs> we just did Stand by Me, rated R. I don't think that should be rated R. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, it's got some, you know, some language for sure. But other dead, than there's that, a dead body there's a by dead the tracks. Body, uh, yeah. You know some some leeches and things like that, but it's uh, right. It's uh, that was a great one. Just finished Dog Day Afternoon. I'm not sure she got most of that. Dog Day what Afternoon. A great I'm movie. trying to remember. That's the one. Uh, Attica. Oh yeah. It's, Attica. Uh, it's I, Al, Pacino, Al Pacino. Al uh, Pacino and the 
uh, Fredo from Godfather. You know what I was thinking? They is, rob a bank. Yeah, totally different movie. I was thinking Scent of a Woman. I was oh, going to go, No, no, no. This is, this Dog Day this Afternoon is, is better like, Pacino. Like 74 Pacino. Yeah, okay. This is yeah. phenomenal. All right. Phenomenal movie. I'm not sure. Like I said, like she sat through it because she's addicted to screens now. Right. Um, right. But uh, yeah. And she liked it. She said she did. We watched Rocky. Yeah. Rocky, Rocky, though, is a Rocky. good kid movie. I feel like Rocky and Rambo What I didn't realize, Rocky, uh, more of a love story than a boxing story. Yeah, Adrian. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even care at the end well, about yeah. whether he won or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just trying to find his way out of the ring. It's uh, it's it's actually, though, uh, Rocky and actually all the uh, Stallone movies were pretty great for growing up, I think. And you know what the, the interesting thing is? My wife's brother, so I guess my brother-in-law, met Stallone in the 80s, and they have a photo, and this photo always gets passed around in our family, but... It's an incredible photo. He's like a a five or six-year-old, and he's like maybe like four foot 10 or something, and he's standing beside Stallone, and Stallone looks like a full adult baby. (laughs) <laughs> he looks like it almost looks like Darren it, is is actually Stallone's older brother. I actually photo. the first time I saw that photo, I thought it was a, a cut you know, like a blockbuster. How they used to have the cutouts, the cutouts of the yeah. like a the stand up piece of cardboard that was a miniature version of Stallone. It's Stallone <laughs> is like four foot ten. I don't. There's. It's probably on his Wikipedia, but it's crazy too because he's so ripped. It's like they're in Hawaii and they ran into him at a resort, and he's so ripped. But he's just this tiny man, right? And right. it's crazy when you watch Rocky and all the I mean, yeah. He he actually the Rambo when he's walking down the dirt road. Yeah, well, that was filmed in Hope. That was filmed in Hope. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> How do they get like just when the car pulls up and he's and he's taller than the tire? Like how did they like a lot of angles that goes well into even that. in Rocky because like I knew he was super short and in Rocky you there's not a a, a screen shot in that whole movie that makes him look small. Yeah. Like he's fighting for the heavyweight championship. Right. And like, meanwhile, he's 5'3". Right. Yeah. What else do we got to talk about <laughs> before we get to, to Tony Joventu? Well, there's a few things. One, we are sponsored this week by Oakwin Realty. We are. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in town, fastest growing brokerage, I think. Yes. One the of top, the top one of the 200 in Canada. Top 200 companies in Canada. This is a phenomenal place to work. If you are a new agent, an aspiring agent, uh, somebody just looking to make a change, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. This is a kind of throwback to to right. uh, last year. VRP 2020. There's a huge New Year's surprise. You put that in. You'll talk to Michael Morgan and the gang. Oakland.com slash join VRP 2020. You will not be disappointed. That's for sure. And we are launching, you know, about half a dozen, close to 10 or so listings here in the next couple of weeks. A lot of listings coming to market. The spring market has sprung. That's right. If you are looking to list your property in 2021, uh, we are going to do for a short time, just for potential home sellers, we're going to do a surprise promotion. It's the spring promotion. So what you have to do this is- It's a Vancouver wanna, Real Estate Podcast sponsored by Sklina Real Estate. Yeah, spring, spring promotion. Spring promotion. If you are thinking about selling your property this spring, get in touch. We have a promotion that we will offer to you. Uh, just give us a call or shoot us an email to find out more. You can do that at info at Um Also, Matt, if you want to refer us- 
to somebody that you think would be a good fit who's either looking to purchase real estate or sell real estate in Vancouver, we have another surprise incentive for listeners of this podcast. And what is the code? We got to come up with a code here. So this is the thing, right? The the VREP community, the people listening to the show are, we are legion and, yes. uh, and full of phenomenal people. And as you know, in this real estate game, you find out very quickly, the people you like to work with hang out with great people. Yes. Right? And exactly. it's just communities building on community. And and we want to we wanna tap into this larger community for sure. And uh, and that's why we're offering this incentive. And we need to come up with this. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest the, the code is POWERWALKER2021. POWERWALKER2021. Now, you don't put this into... You don't put this into the website. No, you we don't have a code <laughs> that you, you got to either text us, say it over the phone, or in an email. Powerwalker twenty twenty one. This is the incentive for selling your place this spring, or referring a trusted advisor to a friend and family. The trusted advisor being Adam and myself. Powerwalker twenty one. Huge incentive. And if you just want to find out more about listing, we also have the Sellers Club. Yes, Matt. Sellers Club is the hottest club in town. That's where you get the best resources to sell your property in the shortest amount of time for top dollar. We are sending out the best resources. I understand that volume two uh, is is prepared Ready and on its go. way out. Ready. Um, and also we have volume one. We have the sold plan, which stands for start on launch date and work your way back. It's it's action plans for getting your home ready for market. So these are plans that we can send you and go over with you. And it's just exciting all around. It's a club you want to be a part of. Last but not least. Last but not least, we are growing. We are. We yes. are. We're always growing at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We're looking for another agent. Yes, yes. Someone, a licensed agent. If you are looking to make a change or join a team, you can get in touch with us and we will have all of our information at the end of the show, but we are looking to hire a licensed agent. So get in touch. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's cut to our talk with Tony Joventu. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Tony Joventu, Executive Director of the Condominium Homeowners Association of BC. How are you doing, Tony? <laughs> I'm doing really well. Uh, it's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? It I is. Say, I think you might have almost got that wrong. Did I, did I get it wrong? <laughs> I, I'm going to try Joventu. it again. Joventu. Joventu. <laughs> yeah, I think I no, got it. No, no, it was, the, con- it was the, the condominium part that you, that you oh, got yeah. around. <laughs> <I> was- <laughs> <laughs> there, there, yeah, it, it, it's always, uh, with my mouth and tongue, it's always a tongue twister. Um, can, can we start maybe Tony, a lot of our listeners will be familiar with, uh, with you and your work, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, our organization is a consumer, um, association that provides educational, parliamentary and operational support to the 32,000 strata corporations across the province. Uh, so in BC, everything from a duplex to 1,200 units in a single development um, are strata titled, um, which is a huge part of our housing inventory. Um, and as a result, there's a, a huge demand for um, support services for things like, you know, general operations, meetings, bylaws, enforcement, uh, budgeting, financing, um, uh, uh, long-term maintenance repair issues, and our office provides support to the strata councils and to the managers across the province. 
And Tony, you're, like Adam mentioned, we see your name everywhere and you write kind of educational articles in, I think, the Times Colonist and in the province. How did you end up in this role? It's kind of a unique position to be in. Uh, I participated actually um, early 99, 98 um, in the Barrett commissions when we were going through the leaky condo process. And I made a connection with the um, with Nola Saunders, who was then the the president of the association, uh, and she and I had developed a you know a, a connection and a link. Um, and based upon my experience in construction and policy, it seemed to be kind of a natural fit um, to move over to the association. And so that's how it all started. And that was that was back in 1998. So it you know it's been it's been quite the journey since then. When you think back to the leaky condo crisis, that must have been uh, really a, a trying time, I would have imagined, if, if, if you're acting um, in any kind of role to try and, try and work through that. We often think of that as, as kind of the worst period in strata, strata history in BC. Now we're kind of moving into uh, this insurance issue. Do you see parallels between the two? Yeah, a lot of it has to do... Um, both, you know, the, the leaky condo problem really was um, uh, an issue around um, a series of failures that all came together at the same time. You know, um, inappropriate building design, in, inappropriate um, material compatibility of materials for our climate, poor construction standards, new conditions imposed. Um, by zoning, by municipalities that reduce things like um, roofing and overhangs, um, uh, you know, all, you know, it was, you know, everybody refers to it as the perfect storm. I kind of refer to it as the tragic storm um, because really what it came down to then was uh, the public being exposed with, you know, as innocent victims um, to these massive losses and costs that people were facing. And, you know, luckily the government at the time created an interest-free loan program that ensured that people weren't going to lose their homes and that the repayments of their loans were affordable. But we had a number of properties, and they still exist, who never did actually conduct their repairs. And so we're now faced with some large properties throughout the Lower Mainland um, that are now looking into some very deep, deep assessments um, because they didn't go ahead with their repairs at the time. You know, they basically were in denial that they had a problem with their buildings and they ignored recommendations. Um, and, you know, what should have been back in the, you know, 2002-2004 window of repairs to buildings, what should have been a, a special levy of thirty or 40000 per unit is now today, because of the deferred maintenance and the repairs, looking like a quarter million dollars per unit in some cases. So, you know, so we've, so we've really compounded the hardship for the public. Take that fast forward to insurance today. Um, and again, it's a situation where, you know, we've gone, we've gone forward for basically 50 years of operations without a, a major issue where the industry has been at a status quo level to suddenly be caught off guard. Um, by a, a very hard insurance market, meaning that the risks for the insurers are much higher. So there are fewer insurers who are insuring the province. And as a result, there's less competition, which drives up prices, which drives up risk for everyone. Uh, and, you know, unsuspectingly, without any warning, the, the consumer is caught off guard again. And so you've seen insurance policies that are increased by 
um, three, four, and five hundred percent over the last few years um, because the risks are so high. Right, and and you know, just thinking about the parallels here again with the the perfect storm or the tragic storm. Can you talk about kind of all the all the factors that have went into this crazy increase in in twenty twenty? Well, uh, yeah, and again, it, it is really the you know the tragic storm here because um, it, it, stepping back, um, if you do some comparisons, um, you can start to see where the strata insurance industry itself wasn't necessarily keeping pace with real costs of product. Uh, look at a detached house in the Tri Cities area that was, you know, um, had a. a a sale value or a replacement value of $800,000. Their annual insurance policy was somewhere in the last three years, somewhere between $1,400 and $1,800 a year to insure that with a, you know, um, a a deductible of probably, you know, $500 or $2,500 covers most of the perils of a single family home. If you go back three years and you look at a comparable condo unit um, that was $800,000, Similar, similar comparables, the deductibles for the building were probably $10,000. The cost per unit in that building, so that $800,000 um, condo, was probably only paying five or $600 for insurance. Uh, the, the real disproportionate problem with this is when there is a, an insurance claim in a condo unit, it almost never affects just one unit. It's always compounded multiple units. So when there's a claim in a condo building um, or the risk and the likelihood, which is even higher with more occupants, what happens is the insurer is automatically exposed to higher compounded risks. And yet on the back side of it, the Strata Corporation, um, through their condo unit, the Strata Corporation um, is actually paying less for insurance than what detached houses have been. So there's been a real um, imbalance uh, between real risk and actual costs associated with the industry. So, so we saw that as, as an industry check. You know, the industry was starting to correct itself um, with respect to those costs. But, uh, you know, worldwide economics and worldwide conditions around the insurance industry um, really drove this in the last 18 months where we had suddenly amalgamations of large insurance companies. We had fewer insurers. Um, we had insurers that were purchased out. We had insurers exposed to some extremely high um, claims based on events in other parts of the world that suddenly are really managing their risk. And what ends up happening is you you evolve into a very hard insurance market. So and, and it, the, ter- the term hard refers to um, the, you know, the cost, the availability of insurance, the lack of insurance, insurers that are available, the risks associated with it. Uh, so what we've really seen is the insurers, along with the you know with the cooperation of the brokers, the insurers have really had to get into the industry in a more involved way and say, look, we're we're only prepared to take a certain percentage of the value of this property because of the risks associated with it, um, and we're not going to take the whole. Um, policy. We're going to take 10% of it. And you end up with, you know, um, 10, 15, or 20 potential insurers on one portfolio. Uh, so it's, it's quite a lot more work to place the insurance. The cost is more. Um, and, and as a result, the consumer ends up having to manage both the frontline cost of the insurance, but also the risks of claims. 
So it's not just the policy that's increased from, you know, last year's policy for the 80-unit strata was 127,000. This year, it's 257,000. Not only the policy that's increased, but the deductible has increased from 25000 to $100,000. And this is the way the risks of economically are managed by the insurance providers. I think it's important that everybody remembers that insurance is a product that is bought, sold, it's traded as a commodity on the stock exchange, um, and so it's a profit-based free market product. And if it isn't making money and isn't returning reasonable profits, the insurance industry is going to adjust the rates that they're charging and they're going to adjust the exposure, the exposure that they have. So, you know, all, all of those things compounded have just really placed the, you know, the public into, into dire straits when it comes to the cost of insurance and claims. You know, one thing, we've been talking about this basically for a year, kind of on and off and on the show a little bit, but one way that I haven't really thought about it is that the costs were actually like it's it's kind of like a slingshot in effect right that that actually the costs most people were paying for insurance were dramatically lower than they should have been for years as opposed to um you know crazy increases uh out of nowhere is that is, mm-hmm. am i getting that right yeah no i think there's a there's a bit of truth in that the you know i think the industry was well aware that there was an imbalance in the risk versus the cost versus the deductibles in the market for quite some time. And, and really what it took was, you know, a bit of a crisis in the insurance market for everybody to, to specifically all the insurers to stand up and say, oops, we've got a problem here. And so, you know, what are, what are we doing? How are we managing this? So I think the insurers have woken up and realized that they really do have to closely manage the risks. Otherwise, they're going to be experiencing losses. Um, you know, from the consumer's perspective, there are other things that occurred in the insurance industry, like best pricing, which which inflated the cost um, of insurance excessively, um, and and that ended up creating um, problems. Um, so, you know, it, it it's a combination of um, insurance history. It's an, it's a combination of losses in communities. We still have strata corporations in the province who are having a very difficult time purchasing insurance. It's not because they're not insurable, but it's because they have really poor claims histories, um, or they have a, um, a building system that is is it's such a, a dire state of repair and maintenance um, that it's not an insurable risk. It's not a good risk to insure. So we can get you insurance, but your insurance is going to go up five hundred percent. That may be a, a you know the only valid option for a building that's forty years old that hasn't replaced a roof or that hasn't done decks and balconies or replaced their domestic water system. Um, and the likelihood of them having a claim is extremely high. Tony, for, for some of our listeners that are not familiar with best terms pricing, why, why has it been uh, in the media lately as uh, targeted as one of the pro- problems creating higher insurance premiums? And, and what have been the steps to kind of uh, mitigate against that? So best best terms pricing um, is a practice within the insurance industry where you have subscription. Subscription means you have multiple insurance companies, each assuming a percentage or a share of the liability on the policy. So you look at the policy for a strata corporation and you'll see there are 10 different companies, each of whom have taken on 10% of all the risk and liability. The first 
eight or nine companies that are, you know, negotiated with the brokers. And the brokers do a great job in negotiating these. But the first eight or nine companies that are negotiated, let's say, are at a rate of 30 cents per hundred dollars for insurance. That's fine. And so we now have a sense of what the rate's going to be. The problem with best terms pricing is when the brokers go to those tenth company to say, okay, um, we need to fill the last 10% of the liability here on this policy. The last company in says, that's fine, but I'm going to charge you 60 cents per hundred dollars for my insurance. And under best terms pricing, that was then applied to all 10 of the insurers. So you weren't purchasing some insurance at lower rates and other insurance at higher rates. Everybody was being compensated or paid for at the extremely highest rate. So the insurance industry, in conjunction with financial services, agreed as of January 1st that they were going to cease doing best pricing practices um, to allow for better competition in open markets. So so just came into effect. Um, my comment to that is we'll just wait and see what happens. And we'll see if see if it really does have an impact, um, or if it's just a matter of you know coming out and saying we're going to stop doing it, but behind closed doors we're just going to keep doing it anyhow. You know, like well, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. But you know, it it it's a it's a difficult it's a difficult industry to expect um, um, kind of privileged costs or benefits um, when you're dealing with an industry that's it, it, a basically a private for-profit industry. Their motivation is cost is a product to minimize risk and claims, to manage risk incredibly well, and to generate a profit for investors. Our interest as a of strata corporations, obviously, is maintain and repair our buildings, minimize risks of claims and damages, um, and hopefully manage our risk at the same time. So we, so we do have a lot that we share, and it's in our both best interests. Um, whether you're a strata corporation or an insurer, it's in everybody's best interest to minimize the risks to your buildings. Um, one of the challenges we have right now with the industry is that um, there isn't really any um, credible incentive to do the right thing. So, you know, my building has, um, we've had a 200% increase on insurance in the last year, hypothetically. Um, the insurer and the broker have pointed out a few items in our building that need to be dealt with, upgraded. So we've dealt with all of those this year. Uh, we go back to the insurance industry and there is no, there was no benefit for doing. Um, and, and so, and that's, that's a symptom of a really hard market again, because there is a limited number of insurers willing to place their, their liability and their risk into the market. So, you know, we're, we're starting to see a little bit of easing on the market. We're starting to see renewals come in um, at um, slightly better rates. We're seeing deductibles that are stable. But if you're, if I can, if you're in a building where you have um, unmanaged risks or you have a building with a history of claims, and it may be beyond your control. These may be, you may have a building where you've just had a series of residents who've been careless, causing a number of, compl- of, of claims. Until you get a five-year claims-free history, it's going to be really tough to get your policy costs down. So, Tony, in thinking of a, a way out of here, or a way out of this, I should say, is it going to be market forces, or is it going to be government intervention, or is it going to be a combination of the two? Uh, if it, it could be market itself that corrects um, and, and creates a much more stable model, but it also requires um, some effort on behalf of government to look at some amendments and updates to leg- legislation to make the obligation to maintain and repair buildings 
and to save money into the reserves in the long term um, more compelling and more mandatory. Um, so, it, you know, it's a balance of um, what can the industry do. It's a balance of what can government do. And it's, a, it's, it's definitely a balance into what the, um, the leadership within the industry, like our organization, can do for the public to ensure that they're actually seriously taking risk management um, as, a, as a critical profile. And, and so, you know, I think everyone across the board needs to look at this. If the insurance industry um, doesn't find a reasonable middle ground on all of this, um, you know, we're, we're probably, um, as a as a society and government, have going to have to look at um, another model or a different method of providing insurance. And one of those methods could be a captive. And a captive um, in British Columbia under our legislation would be a corporation where all of the shareholders of the corporation are all of the, essentially all of the com- uh, strata corporations and properties who are being insured. They're basically co- and self-insuring. Um, the the benefit of a captive is it it can guarantee a more predictable um, insurance that's available, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be cheaper or that deductibles are going to be lower. The you know the cost to manage the risk on at least a break even to profitable level is still going to be the same cost to manage risk, uh, and so you know in the in the real um, economy for insurance for strata corporations, I hate to say it, but we're we're going to be living with higher insurance costs um, for quite a long time unless there would be a drastic change in what strata corporations actually have to insure. A good example of government change might be um, looking at um, unit description. Um, in, in some jurisdictions in North America and Australia, a, the units themselves um, are only insured to the point of what the code required. So if a unit would be flooded out or burned out, the only thing that the Strata Corporation is responsible for, or the condo corporation, is through their insurance, is the restoration of the drywall and the life safety systems. Absolutely everything else is the responsibility of each individual owner to insure um, and to maintain and repair. In BC legislation, if a unit is burnt out, um, and there's damage, the strata corporations insurer are responsible for the restoration of the original fixtures um, installed by the developer, which, which, which means if you look closely at a lot of the buildings now, especially high-end buildings with finishings, um, that the finishings within units can be two or $300,000 quite easily. Right. Um, and so when the developer does premium units with hardwood flooring and granite countertops, um, and solid core um, um, hardwood cabinets and custom appliances that are built in and, and a variety of things that, that really come on the Strata's insurance, it adds quite a lot of cost. And most claims in Strata buildings really are um, directed towards a damage to units. So, you know, a change, a change there where the, um, the obligations or the liabilities of some of these expenses are spread out to a broader industry, to a greater number of insurers, might actually be quite beneficial for everybody, both the insurers for the strata corporations and for um, the public. Now, here's the challenge. If government does make this such amendment and they change the definition so that the only thing the strata corporation insures for is the, the fire safety or the code finishing of the unit, but nothing else inside, um, will the insurance industry provide some relief for corporations in that respect? And there's no guarantee of that, but but it's certainly worth a dialogue with industry 
um, and within government to look at that possibility. One of the rumors we've kind of heard out there in the insurance world is that there's the potential of the government uh, amending the Strata Property Act so that it, there's a max that can be charged back um, in terms of a deductible back to um, an owner in the building. Have you have you have you come across any, this any concept truth to that or any truth to that or, or or any thoughts on how that could work or if that could be a, a feasible option? So the so kind of the myth of this started with Alberta. Um, Alberta originally did not permit um, condo corporations to charge back insurance deductibles to owners if they were responsible for or caused the claim. Uh, Alberta amended their legislation a few years ago to permit a condo corporation to charge up to $50,000 back. That's back when deductibles were only $50,000. Uh, and, and so um, BC's legislation always permitted um, a strata corporation to charge back an insurance deductible or seek to recover an insurance deductible if an owner or their occupants were responsible for a claim. So something that was within their control that they didn't deal with um, uh, it, that resulted in a claim to the building, Strata Corporation has the ability to seek an action to recover that back. There's, there has been discussion around limiting that, although we, we still don't see the merits in limiting it. Um, if someone has caused the claim, if I cause a claim and I live in a single-family home, I pay my deductible. If I cause a claim and I live in a condo building, why should everybody else have to pay for my actions or my neglect? What might change is the definition of responsibility. Um, just because my dishwasher pump failed doesn't necessarily mean I caused the claim. It might have been something entirely beyond my control. Um, but if I've overflowed my bathtub um, or if I've done alterations that were um, unauthorized causing a flood uh, or I've had a fire, a cooking fire in my unit resulting from my actions, why should everybody else pay for a portion of a deductible when they had no hand in the outcome of the act or the ability to, to limit or manage that risk? So what we might see is a, a change in the definition, not necessarily change in the limit. Uh, again, it's something that it's something that's being discussed. Um, but you know, each one of these decisions has a fair number of consequences to them. Um, and so, when, and the problem we're dealing with now, of course, is we're dealing with extremely high deductibles. But you know, we had a claim before Christmas in a condo building with a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar deductible. Um, the the amount of the damage did not reach the deductible, so there's no claim on the strata insurance. However. Um, the strata corporation have experienced a significant amount of damage, and it was in it was in relationship to an occupant of a unit who vandalized a toilet tank um, within a unit, and by having done so, it resulted in quite a substantial um, amount of damage to the building and other units. So, so even when that happens, the owner of the unit now could technically be sued by all of the other units um, for the damages associated with their unit and claims that they may have filed or if they didn't have insurable claims, damages that they incurred. So, the, you know, the owner of the unit might still be exposed to, you know, up to $250,000 of damages from other parties. So it's, it, it doesn't really solve the problem. It just divides up how the cost is going to be allocated. But, you know, I think general public consensus is if someone has caused the claim and it's been as a result of their actions or neglect that, that, really um, triggered this claim and the damages, 
why should the rest of us have to pay for this? Right. Which is a fair argument. Yeah. Tony, thinking about kind of the politics of the housing market here, a lot of talk on the street that we've been hearing is is around buildings with that still allow short-term rentals or or rentals in general. Obviously, the the province and the city has done a lot to try and de-incentivize people leaving units vacant. But how does this insurance issue impact kind of the rental restrictions, moves to try and restrict more rentals in buildings? Have you seen anything on the ground there in terms of, of kind of a cultural shift, I guess, in, in relation to rentals? Uh, you know, it's interesting about the whole insurance slash rental slash access discussion and vacancy discussion is that there have been a, a number of statements made in reports and a number of statements made um, by individuals claiming that, you know, rentals or the lack of rentals or too many rentals are all contributing to the problem. And there's absolutely no truth to it whatsoever. When we look at the actuarial reports, there aren't, there aren't higher claims in buildings because they have rentals versus building with no rentals. Um, virtually every strata building has some level of rentals in it because family rentals, owner-developer exemptions since 2010, um, and hardship rentals exist in, in many buildings. Most buildings don't prohibit rentals. They permit a certain percentage of rentals, which works well. Uh, the other side of this is that investors, uh, as landlords, um, are liable for everything that their tenants do. And we find that they tend to be the more prudent building operators in a lot of cases because they have much more at risk. Um, they're also the people who are quite willing to approve um, major repairs to buildings because they're they're cognizant of the fact that if we don't have an operating elevator or a fire safety system or access to our building, we can't rent out our units. They also, you know, landlord investors also get the benefit of taxation with investments for capital repairs for their buildings. So, you know, there's there's almost more of an incentive for landlords who are renting out units to look towards the long-term management of buildings. Um, and, and landlords, as a property owner, are exposed to all the same risks and liabilities that every other owner is exposed to. Um, we, we did a, um, a building, um, a, a very detailed building audit um, going back now to 2016, when the whole issue of, um, you know, um, vacancy um, and available rental units started coming up in the city of Vancouver. We did 16 buildings. Eight of the buildings were from 2010 or afterwards, um, and eight of the buildings were comparable, but from the pre-2010. So buildings after 2010 essentially don't have rental bylaws because the owner developers could file rental disclosure statements exempting all the units from rental bylaws for a prescribed period of time. And in most cases, it was 100 years. So most buildings built since 2010, rental bylaws don't apply anyhow. What was interesting is the buildings pre-2010 where rental bylaws could be adopted, we looked at buildings both with and without rental bylaws. And the buildings that actually had rental bylaws had the lowest vacancy rate. They were either occupied by tenants with the limited number of rentals and the resident owners, and very few of them were actually vacant. So our big, we actually found that the vacancy rate on buildings with rental bylaws in occupancy of units was below 2%. Whereas we started looking at buildings post-2010 that didn't have rental bylaws that speculators very much purchased into because there's no restrictions, those buildings um, had vacancy rates of 27 to 34%. And so when we started looking at the numbers, it was pretty obvious 
that buildings without restrictions are really um, um, not about landlords for rental units, they're about investors. And investors are using them as short-term um, accommodations for Airbnb and the likes of that because of the quick return, um, or they're just holding them as investment property and leaving them vacant. Whereas buildings that have rental bylaws, um, because of the age of the building and because of the occupancy requirement of the unit, had much, much higher occupancy rates. So, you know, there was an argument that we should dissolve rental bylaws and it would make more rental units available. All it would simply do is simply make all of the pre-2010 units vulnerable to investors. That's all it would do. And there's no guarantee they would be occupied or not used for short-term accommodations um, or anything else that really has, a, a, you know, a derogatory impact on, on um, rental units. Wow, that that's that's counterintuitive that a rental restriction actually is is a, a benefit to having higher occupancy. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting what the impact of that actually was. Um, but it, essentially, what it meant that you either occupied your unit or left it vacant, but you couldn't use it for any other purpose. And so, you know, from an from an investor's perspective, it, it isn't a, a viable. Um, investment for an older building. So, you know, as we look at um, rentals within buildings, um, uh, we see the very uh, a very high rate of investors that target towards newer buildings post 2010. But that's where the highest vacancies are. And, and, and you know, and so so we end up with all of these units that are vacant that ended up pooling into um, short-term accommodations like Airbnb. Um, and that's part of the ongoing cycle of all of this. It, um, it was good to do the study. It was good to do a very focused study building by building to have actual numbers that relate to um, rentals because, you know, there were a number of people that were making claims out there that because of rental bylaws, there weren't enough units available. And the reality is, that the buildings that have rental bylaws are the buildings with the highest occupancy rates, and it isn't going to make more stock or inventory available on the market anyhow. So, Tony, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, the current climate in stratas, and I feel like over the last, you know, five to ten years, we've seen depreciation reports, continued deferred maintenance in a lot of buildings. Now we're seeing an insurance premium increase across the board. And we're still seeing a ton of stratas that are running with really low contingency funds. Are we moving into a climate of major maintenance fee hikes, in your opinion? Well, we are. We're, we're moving, we are in a climate now where it's going to have to be significant increases in fees to be able to meet oper- annual operations, but also to um, be able to maintain some sufficient reserves for future emergencies and upgrade the building. I suspect and anticipate that we're probably going to see some changes in the um, requirements under the Act for Depreciation Reports to deal with, A, whether a building can be exempt anymore from a report, and B, um, what minimum levels of funding are going to be. You know, plan plan on, on looking towards government doing some public consultation over the next year on this. It's the easiest way to manage individuals' personal risk and liability um, is to be planning monthly contributions that are going to be higher. Um, it, it, it's, an in, it's an interesting thing that we were looking at some comparables where you have full funded, fully funded depreciation reports. And when you have a fully funded depreciation report, if you have a good annual operating budget, about 22% of your budget goes into your reserve fund. 
so that when you get down the road 10, 15, 20 years down the road, the money that you need to replace your roofing and your siding and doors and windows and upgrades to elevators becomes the core resource that you have available. It isn't always all of the funding, but it ensures that buildings can move forward with upgrades and maintenance and repairs without having to have major special levies, which are a huge financial hardship for a lot of people. So, you know, an extra $25 or $50 a month makes a dramatic difference. And everyone, I know everyone says, you know, you, you don't live in my building, you don't know what that is. Well, in my building, 23% of our monthly fees goes into our reserve fund. And yes, we pay higher fees, but we also don't have a fear of special levies. And, and we have a number of buildings across the lower mainland who are looking at larger and higher funding levels um, just so that they don't have to be exposed to special levies. Because, you know, the difficulty with special levies is most people vote against them because they can't afford it, not because they don't want the work to be done. It's just become an affordability issue. And what ends up happening is they get into this vicious circle where building components end up getting delayed to be replaced. Then you deal with damages, you deal with emergency repairs. And then at some point, if you've not really, if you can't get the owners to approve the levy, you deal with a court application to approve an order to get the work done. Um, and, and what ends up happening through that cycle is suddenly what should have cost one amount of money to you know, routinely replace, maintain, and repair is now 30 to 40% higher because we've deferred this. So, you know, the economics of it alone are that it's prudent and, and wise to be planning smaller, more frequent increments of money into your reserves than it is to wait for special levies. We know that the, you know, the actuarials have shown clearly that it's in everybody's best interest to do this in the long term. The difficulty with it is if it isn't legislated to some minimum formula then it isn't a level playing field in the industry. And, and when you have a thriving you know, market, real estate market where property values hold and, and you don't have difficulty selling property regardless of what the status of the reserve fund is or the depreciation report, it's kind of hard to you know, rationalize with people, hey, you got to do this, it's in your best interest. So you know, we're probably going to have to look at some legislative model that compels strata corporations to look at minimum requirements. And in terms of minimum requirements, Tony, um, like, so, you know, we see, I guess, generally, let's say 40 cents to 55 cents a square foot as, as a strata fee. Like, do you say two, three, four years from now, do you have any thoughts on, on where strata fees will, will be? Well, I don't think they will be less, but you know, uh, I, I think that um, I think we will be faced with higher fees. Um, I, I don't think that um, realistically in a building that's fully funded from day one, you should probably be somewhere, you know, in a multifamily building. You probably are somewhere in the 60 to 70 cents um, um, margin uh, to be able to look at what reasonable fees are by time you include all of your building maintenance and operations. You know, the other, the other side of this that we see is a real deficiency that we, we spend a lot of time on development with is that we really see a lot of buildings who don't implement annual operations plans. And, and they're not complicated, but it's simply a matter of creating a checklist of all of your building components that need to be inspected, maintained, and serviced every year and making sure it gets done. Um, you know, the number of claims that we see in buildings that relate to damages associated with neglected building components 
like um, routine servicing of sump pumps or the, uh, you know, or, or the flushing of the drains in the building system um, or roof maintenance to ensure that, um, uh, that drains and overflows are cleared and there's no ongoing damage. The cost to do these things on an annual basis is nominal compared to the implication if you don't do it and you end up with an emergency response. Right. So if you end up with an emergency and you have damage to units, but you don't have an insurance claim, well, that's one thing. But if you've neglected your building and you end up with emergency and you have an insurance claim, it's going to compound your risk in so many ways. You're going to pay the cost of a high deductible. You're going to have higher insurance costs for the future if you can still get insurance. And what would have been easily managed with annual service contracts is now an exorbitant repair and maintenance contract. Um, you know, and so, you know, operations, a, a simple operations plan is something that I advocate for every building owner, regardless of size, because it just simply ensures you're aware of what do I own, what has to be maintained and inspected, um, how do we plan for it, who does it. So the other side of that is that then converts into very real annual budget. You know, the old, the old rule of thumb that I often see strata council sit down and they're planning for next year's budget. They say, well, you know, last year's budget was good. We came in with a small surplus. Let's just hold strata fees where they are. Well, that might be appropriate, but I'm going to guess that you're missing out on a lot of obligations on your building. And so, you know, when you actually have um, a maintenance inventory of your building and you implement it every year, it, it, it remarkably changes how your um, annual budget is formulated and how it's developed. The other side of that that's important is the, the better maintenance inspection um, and servicing that you provide with your building components, it extends the life of many of your building components and it reduces your long-term cost. So it, you know, I, I, all of this, is it, it's a holistic approach really where, where the entire building systems need to be maintained. And um, for residential buildings, for condo buildings, I hate to say it, but our market doesn't treat condo buildings, a condo high-rise, in the same way an industrial or a corporate commercial building would be treated. You know, a corporate commercial building is going to have a very detailed, focused operations plan. They're going to have operations protocols for building maintenance systems and janitorial and servicing and security. Yet a comparable high-rise building two blocks away of the same value probably has nothing. Uh, and so it, it, you know, it's really difficult to manage the building without actually having some really good dedicated operations plan. You know, just as a, as a final thought here, one of the things I know your, your organization is, is big on education, but, you know, Adam and I are both real estate agents here in Vancouver. And, and one of the things that uh, strikes me is the, the biggest uh, myth or attractive feature of all these buildings out there. Everybody's still looking for the low strata fee. Um, and I, I think, and I think it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, we've talked for years about how a high strata fee is not necessarily a bad thing, but I guess that's, that's undoubtedly something that you guys are trying to educate the public about over and over again, but it's like, uh, presumably it's like beating your head against the wall. Well, and, and we still, I hate to say it, but we still have trading services people who go to meetings. Um, because they've been, you know, advocated by someone will show up at a meeting and say that, say to people at a meeting, if you don't keep your strata fees low, um, we can't sell your units. Well, you know, it's some of the worst advice possible because it just simply means if you're keeping your strata fees low, you're not maintaining and repairing your building and you're probably just um, accelerating liabilities for your community. And, and so you look at that and so you're an insurance provider 
And suddenly the insurance provider, do you, are, do you actually blame the insurance provider now for being more prudent and saying, you know, if you're not going to take your building operations and management seriously, um, it's going to cost you. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, again, it's this vicious circle of, you know, not properly funding, maintaining and repairing your building. It always costs more in the long run. There, there, there really is no, um, uh, there are no cost savings when you cut corners when it comes to buildings, um, buildings of every, of every nature and of every size. So yeah, in, you know, education is, is absolutely essential. And then if we can get some government appetite around some minimum requirements for, you know, comparable funding. So it becomes a level playing field. That, that would be very helpful. And imagine having Tony Joventu on your strata council. I was uh, going to say, you mentioned your building. We, was, <laughs> that's going to be the number one burning I know, question. It's like everybody listening probably t- tuned out <laughs> immediately after. And went, I wonder where he lives and yeah, how I can exactly. get in that building. <laughs> so, so Tony, maybe, maybe as a final, uh, a final, final question here. Will insurance premiums go down in the near future? Or are these uh, are these new costs kind of here to stay? In your opinion, and are you kind of are you optimistic about the insurance climate moving forward? Well, I think the I think the um, costs for those buildings who are taking their risks seriously and who are managing their property well and and who are responding to you know to their insurers that you know you, there are ways you can improve this. Uh, you know, barring any real major worldwide crisis, uh, I think that we are seeing already um, some of the costs come down. Um, and we've seen this in the past two months with some target buildings that, you know, large developments, but who've done a really great job um, in addressing a number of the risks that have been identified and they're claims free for five years. And, um, you know, we've seen, we've already seen the benefit of that. So I think that the answer to that is yes, um, with the cautionary tale that, you know, a, a serious worldwide condition could change that um, in a heartbeat. But, I, you know, I think it's also time maybe that government looks at uh, different models for insurance when we have such a large constituency in British Columbia. And it doesn't necessarily mean that government is providing insurance, but maybe the models are different about how we share risk, or maybe the models are different about what has to be insured to, to reduce some of the risks. So, so it eases up um, the obligation around what really what has to be insured by the industry. And I think we're due for some a little bit of modernization around how we approach um, insurance for multifamily buildings in our province. Tony, we have uh, we have a segment just to finish off, kind of more of a lighthearted five quick questions about Vancouver and yourself called the the Live Wire or the Five Wire. Yeah, the, the five, five wire, wire. That's what it's called. We've been doing this for years. Uh, do you have Do you have a minute to stick around for that? Yeah, sure. Okay. First question, Tony. Favorite neighborhood in Metro Vancouver? Oh, I have lots of favorite neighborhoods in Metro Vancouver. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know lots. Right from you know Granville Island, Falls Creek, out to Steveston, out to um, New Westminster, to the Tri Cities downtown Boko, uh, there's a lot of great neighborhoods in Metro Vancouver. Great. Okay. That's a, that's a diplomatic uh, <laughs> answer. <laughs> no one, there'll be no hate mail this episode. Um, <laughs> se- second question, what building do you live in? Just kidding. Or your favorite building in Metro Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. No, um, favorite, favorite bar or restaurant, Tony? 
Oh, well, that's kind of tough with everything kind of, you know, half operational right now, isn't right. it? <laughs> I think um, the um, uh, Bao Bay in um, Gastown oh, is still my favorite restaurant. That is a fantastic one. Have you been to Kisa Tonto? Same, same owner? Yes. Yeah, I, lo- I love that too. Yeah. Right. Good one. Yeah. Yeah, the two of them, the two of them are probably yeah top of those. It's the it's kind of the exotic fusion that is just so great. Perfect. Right, right. It, it, not on the subject uh, necessarily, but what is one book uh, that you'd recommend our listeners uh, should should get out and buy? Oh, holy cow! That's a tough question. They only get harder, because and, <laughs> unfortunately. <yeah. laughs> that would, Halfway that would there. Really, that would really depend on what the topic would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, not not condo uh, insurance, hopefully. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, not condo insurance at all. Um, well, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist when it comes to books, so I'm, I, you know, my my favorite book um, is um, a Neville Shoot book called The Legacy. Or, or a, a town called Alice, which is kind of a an interpretation of what occurred during the Second World War with a group of women and their children as refugees. You know, and it talks about survival and it talks about people taking initiative and moving forward on um, on building communities and developing communities. I'm I'm just incredibly proactive um, and supportive when it comes to any kind of development for communities. Wow, that's a great one. Yeah, good one. Tony, what is one piece of advice you'd give your 18-year-old self? Save more money. (laughs) (laughs) Every Vancouverite's answer. (laughs) As they stare into increasing condo fees. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And and, and there's a final question, Tony. Is there something you've purchased in the last year or two for under $1,000 that has transformed your life or at least changed it uh, for the positive? Oh, totally. I purchased a, uh, a whole um, inventory and series of watercolor equipment. So uh, ah. paint, boards, mats, and everything, because I, I rather like, I rather like uh, watercolors. Wow, that's great. And it, it's, uh, I'm sure when you're talking about all these complicated strata issues and then you have the, the meditative contrast of, of watercolor painting. Especially during COVID. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I like doing natural Canadian scenery. That's my favorite. Wow, that's great. Huh. Well, all right, Tony. Well, if people want to learn more about you, Condominium Homeowners Association of BC, how can they find out more? Uh, You know, just flip onto the website, uh, which is choa.bc.ca, and uh, all of our links, our emails, um, contact, everything's there. And, and your regular, you you write a regular column in the, it's the Times Colonist, correct? It's for the province, for the Times Colonist, and it's also uh, distributed through um, all the papers in the interior as well. So, Excellent. And, it's, and I'm, I'm, believe it or not, we were just looking, I think at, just as we come to the end of this year, I will have written my 1,000th column for the province. Holy Wow. Who would have thought milestone. there was so much to talk about? No kidding, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Tony, thank you so much again for your time. And uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure having you on the program. Thanks, guys. Much, much appreciated. Happy to do it anytime.
So there you have it, folks. Our talk with Tony Jovantu from the Condominium Homeowners Association of BC. That's it's a mouthful. It is. It's. Uh, I'm. I'm gonna. Next time we talk to Tony, I'm gonna suggest they they take the minium out, <laughs> like right out of the name. Yeah. It's just gonna be easier. But uh, no. But it, it it's the Condominium Homeowners Association of BC. Tony has been. The guy for Stratus for a number of years. Wow, yeah, oh, twenty plus. And uh, we we I had a lot of fun talking to him. He's he's a great guy. Oh yeah, no, he great guy. Lots of information. That was great. You know, it makes me think of uh, a conversation I had with XT Swansea. This is a guy we've mentioned on the show before. He's been with us. We met him through the podcast. Part of, part of the VREP community for like since five day, years. Since day one, I feel like he might have been there for the for the first episode. Almost talked to him this week. He said, "I still listen to you guys on one and a half times." Is that an insult? I think that's uh, that's I not an insult because he, he still it's listens. It's like he's saying I'm skip. He skips the intro and outro altogether, and he listens to the interviews at one and one a half, and a half sp- speed. Maybe yeah. that's a common. I I don't know how to get those analytics, but but, but this could be. I don't think we can get those analytics, but it could be a common thing. the The other quasi compliment we got this week was from Paul Dennison over at Rentals.ca. I was conversing with him. He said, "You know, your guys' podcast." I love the intro and outro. But does he mean the actual conversation or does he mean just the music? And what does he think of the actual meat of this whole podcast, like the whole point of it? (laughs) He left that, it was unspoken. Anyway, and he also said he doesn't want to come on. Yeah, no, but but we're getting Big Ben Myers back. Yeah, his partner, uh, Big Ben Myers. Those guys guys produce awesome reports. I always have a look at, uh, and what an interesting time in the rental market too. No kidding. Um, But yeah, the old stink sandwich, that's uh, what we're going for. (laughs) We we give you a compliment at the beginning. Beginning and a compliment at the end. Uh, it's like we're firing people over here sometimes. Um, but anyways, no, I, I think as we've we've suggested, interesting year for Stratas, interesting year for rentals. So many good conversations coming up on this show this year. I am excited for this season of the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. What else do we got before we cut for the day? What else do we have? We have our website. That is VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all things real estate related. We have the live wire. This is our weekly mailer. You, There's no reason why you shouldn't be on right. the live wire mailing list. We have deal of the month. We got stats before everyone else. We got stats that you won't find at the real estate board. Dig into sub markets, price bands. This is really useful information. We also have private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. This is the best way to look for real estate in Vancouver. And if you're a seller or a homeowner, this is also the best way to know what your neighbors are selling for. So we can help set you up with that. Just sign up on our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And last but not least, Matt, we should say we do have that promotion for the spring, spring market. Spring 21, 21 incentives. Yes. you just, Abound. The, the code is POWERWALKER2021. Listeners of our show or friends and family of listeners of our show will get an incentive, a surprise incentive for our spring promotion. So do get in touch. And Matt, how can people get in touch with you? You can call me at any time to talk about incentives, spring markets, or anything real estate related, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And speaking of secret, we've all got these Apple watches. We're all monitoring each other at, you know, who's- Well, we're who's, also in competition. Who's most comatose- yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Anyways, but I do that. I did have to prod a friend the other day. Like, are you in a coma? Really? Yeah. Who was a friend? Uh, it was uh, Hewitt. Hewitt. Yeah, that makes sense. Hewitt. Uh, <laughs> so he just didn't have his watch on. Oh, really? <laughs> That's that's a real problem. If yeah. you forget, if you miss, if you miss putting <laughs> I was your watch on, like worried. Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no secret is uh, he's putting in work he's, after hours. He's putting he's, in work. Yeah, yeah, his calories burnt he's a day. A, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm guessing there's one of two things happening. His fridge is on a different floor. <laughs> Or, that's true. Or he's on the elliptical. I can't. I think it's I a little talk. bit of column A, a little bit of column B. He did yeah. tell me. I said, "What have you been doing?" Like he's consistently beating us every day. He's like yeah. just bounding up the stairs from the office and in the basement. A there's, in the there's only one reason to be bounding up those stairs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have a good week, guys. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. <laughs>